and welcome to another episode of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Nikki Lavoie, founder, CEO, and chief sparkologist for MindSpark Research International, based in Paris, France. I have to say, if you go to the website, I really love the tagline, we inspire you to love your users and craft experiences that help them love you in return. Here, here, how cool is that? That's what research can do. Uh, so very cool. Um, but of course, running a research company isn't enough for Nikki. She does so much more than that. She's a council member at ISOMAR. Uh, she's a member of the board at the Association for Qualitative Research, the AQR, amongst all sorts of speaking engagements and other industry entanglements, in the best sense of the word. But, mm -hmm. My question, and I've always wondered this, how does an American end up founding and running a research company in Paris, France? How cool is that? I gotta hear the story. So fortunately, Nikki is here to tell the story to us today and so much more. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Honored to have you, super excited. So uh, I've been wanting to hear this story. We'll get, we'll get to that, but uh, let's, Let's start with research, right? So uh, it's very interesting to hear how people get into this space. Would love to hear how you first got into research and insights and why. Oh my goodness. Uh, that's also a story. How can I keep it as succinct and interesting as possible? <clears throat> so as a precursor to actually starting my career in research, when I was an undergrad, I actually studied advertising and communication. And one of the courses yeah. that I took focused around research methodologies. So we actually learned about qualitative and quantitative research methodologies. And it was for sure not just saying this in retrospect because of where I ended up. For sure, it was my favorite course. I just understood it and I really enjoyed, you know, the various different tools that existed for understanding things. Sure. Um, so did that when I graduated, I ended up working for a nonprofit. I worked for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation for about a year, which is a super really great organization. I'm really proud to have have worked with them for a year, but I had a 90 minute commute one way, which meant I spent three hours in the car when I was 22 and fresh out of school and wanted to do that mix of have a job, but also live the life. And I wasn't doing much life living. And um, my boss at the time, one of my colleagues had given her notice. Um, I think she was maybe having a baby. And my boss at the time was interviewing candidates and she held a meeting with the rest of the, us that were remaining on the team. And she said, I don't really know what to do. I found two candidates that I love to fill this spot and I'm having a really hard time deciding who would be the best addition to the team. So I would love if all of you could like go back, have a think, you've already met these two, you know, candidates and I would just love to know what you thought. And I just thought to myself, I cannot let her not hire one of these two and then I quit like sometime later because at this stage I was already getting burnt out um, from you. Uh. So had no backup job, had no nothing, went into our office and I just said, I think you need to hire them both because I'm really miserable with my commute. And as a result, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation made an exception and wrote me a letter of recommendation, which they never do. 
um, because I, you know, saved them from being down uh, an employee. And yeah, I became unemployed with nothing. And so I was like sending out applications everywhere, everywhere, everywhere that I could find. And it just so happened that there was um, a small, well, maybe medium-sized market research agency in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is where I was living at the time that was hiring. And I had gotten offered a job at an ad agency maybe 24 hours before in New York. And if you know anything about New York-based ad agencies back in the mid-2000s, they wanted you they wanted your heart and soul and they were not going to pay you for it. Um, So I got offered a very depressing job offer and it was the only job (laughs) offer I could had. And then I found Taylor research and consulting group and they interviewed me. And on the, after my first interview, I literally said, I have another job offer. It's in New York city. If you don't make me an offer, I'm going to (laughs) leave to go to New York. And they called me before I got to my car in the parking lot. So yeah, I made a very risky move. I don't recommend this for any other young young folks who are looking for jobs in the research industry. I got really lucky, um, as most of us say, fell into the research industry. I did actually obviously have some experience from undergrad, but it wasn't a goal of mine. I wasn't thinking, I want to work for a research agency or I want to do insights you know, at a brand. It was total luck of the draw and it, you know, put me on a career path that has been really fulfilling and interesting for me and I've loved it ever since. So very lucky. Yeah, cool. Was was there ever a moment um, where you realized, wow, I really like this space. I made the right industry choice for me. Yeah, I think that all the time, actually. Um, And, you know, I'm sort of in this place where I'm constantly asking myself these chicken and egg questions because I'm, you know, I notice certain things about myself, like that I really love to observe people. And my friends often comment that, you know, if we're having a discussion about something, they'll be like, wow, the stuff that you share with us, like the observations you share with us about life or about our other friend who's maybe having a hard moment or whatever it might be, they're like, you you have so much intuition and, you know, you really seem like a researcher and I'm always like, was I a researcher before I fell into this industry or did this industry kind of craft me into this person who, you know, really loves taking in everything around me. So I I think very often and very regularly about how, how lucky I am to have found this line of work. Cool. Cool. Now, speaking of taking everything in around you, you're probably in the best city in the world for doing that. Right. Uh, being in Paris and I, you know, I've always been fascinated about this. Uh, curious how you, you go from that, you're working in, you know, New Hampshire or whatever, small research company uh, to fast forward, not that, not that far into the future, but here you are, you're, you're running a company in Paris. So uh, tell us, tell us how that all worked. Yeah, so that is definitely quite the story. And you mentioned um, when you were telling a little bit about my background that I am on the council of SMR. So actually the VP of the SMR council for this class. And I think that's also you know, not a coincidence because I uh, went to my first ever SMR event in 2010 on the recommendation of my mentor and supervisor at the time. She was really saying, you know, you should get out there and go to an international event and see what other qual researchers are doing and really sink your teeth into some stuff that's, you know, bigger than New Hampshire and, and you know, 
broaden your horizons, that kind of thing. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I found SMR's website and I said, well, this seems interesting. And they were holding their Congress that year in Athens, Greece. And, you know, as a mid twenties okay. professional, <laughs> I was like, how can I turn down the opportunity to go to a conference where I will simultaneously learn so much stuff, but also go to a place? I mean, I studied um, Latin in school, which is obviously not Greek, but there's so much crossover with the mythologies and all that kind of stuff. And so I've sure. always wanted to go to Greece and there the opportunity was. So I decided to go um, to this event and yeah, I signed up with a young professionals ticket, not realizing that there are some limitations to the young professionals <laughs> ticket and it doesn't afford you all of the same benefits as a full, um, you know, Congress ticket does. And, you know, if you haven't been to SMR Congress before, um, you should know that it's a great event and every at every Congress that happens in person, um, they do one night is a really amazing, wonderful dinner, somewhere really unique, like somewhere fun and a really great location and lots of great food. And um, in this particular event in Athens, they have all these buses ready to whisk us away to like the Greek wine countryside for this amazing dinner. And I, you know, with my young professional ticket, marched up to the bus completely naive and presented my ticket and said, all right, I'm ready for the dinner. And they said, no, this does not get you admission to the dinner. And I was, you know, completely flabbergasted and really sad because um, I, I had been really looking forward to it. And so I, you know, kind of sulked back into the hotel lobby and sat down on a couch, literally thinking to myself, how could you not have realized that this wasn't included? Like it, it would have been simple for me, you know, even a few days before to pay for an extra dinner's ticket, but I didn't realize. Anyway, there was this lovely young man, I wish I could remember his name or anything about him, but there was this lovely young man tapping away on a computer and like looking very focused and he looks over at me and then back at his computer and then looks over at me and he was like, you couldn't get on the bus? And I was like, no. And he was like, you want my dinner ticket? I'm busy. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and he gave me his dinner ticket. Um, which was so you know generous and, and amazing. And so I ended up being the last person on the last bus to go to this dinner in Athens, Greece. So I literally almost didn't make it. And because I was the last person on the last bus to go to the dinner, I had no choice in where to sit down for dinner. And I happened to sit down next to a man who owned a French market research company who then after some conversation offered me a job right. <laughs> to sponsor my visa right on the spot so, the table uh well he we started talking about it at the table and i was really skeptical as to how serious he was about offering me the job he was telling me about how he wanted to expand the capabilities of his team and how important it was for his company to have a more international presence. And I was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, sure, you don't know me from a hole in the wall. And you know, there's no way you're gonna offer me a job. And he was very serious. And over the next couple of days, he was introducing me to the rest of his team that was also attending the Congress in Athens. And then by the time my plane touched back down in Boston, um, at the end of the trip, I had a job offer and an offer to sponsor my visa waiting in my inbox. <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's one of those stories that every time I tell people, they're just like, you know, people ask me all the time, how can I move to France? How can I, how did you do it? Like, how did you forge your way? And I'm like, well, I got really lucky with a bus dinner ticket thing in Athens, <laughs> so I can't really help you with that. But yeah, it was a lot of coincidence. Now, was it an easy choice? Was it just, oh, oh my gosh, okay, let's do this. Yeah, it was shockingly not easy. I think, you know, for someone who I've always been fascinated by the idea of travel and also by the idea of living abroad, um, you know, to, to move over to a country where you don't know the language and you don't have friends and you don't have family and, you know, you'd be starting a brand new job, like everything brand new all at once was not that easy of a choice to make. But I remembered that like, you know, 16 year old me was all was literally plotting, like, how can I live abroad? And what what career will allow me to live abroad and travel excessively? And yeah. you know, I forgot about that until I was in the process of weighing whether or not I should make this move. And then I finally went, oh yeah, what am I, why am I hesitating? I've always wanted this. And then once I had that realization that I, I had wanted this for a long time, then the choice became easier to make. Okay, okay, cool. So I, ha I have another question about this because you took the job, right? And you moved to Paris and were, you're having your visa sponsored. Um, and I imagine that through that experience, you're, you're experiencing so many new things. And in addition to a new job, it's a new culture and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, but somewhere along the line, you also got the gumption to decide to uh, start your own firm. So tell us a little bit about that process. Oh, yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I think as, as is the case with a lot of people in various different job markets and various different times in your life, um, you feel like you've learned as much as you can learn from a particular experience. And so I worked for this French agency for about three and a half years, almost four years, I think. Um, and the tricky part was, you know, if I were an American living in America and I worked four years at a company and decided that I wanted to move to another company, of course, it's not always easy to find a job, but relatively speaking, I probably would have been able to find another job. But being that I was a foreigner in France, um, I thought, okay, well, I've learned everything I can learn. It would be great to try something new and do, you know, same industry, but like move on. And I applied to like the TNSs and the Ipsoses and the Cantars right. who were all looking for um, international client, you know, qual client managers or international qual, whatever. Sure. And I was like, who else could it be? Diamond in the rough, international, English speaking was a must, um, managing, you know, foreign accounts, qual experience like me and every single one of those jobs, they said, but you're not French. And I was like, but you're asking for international experience. Yeah. So I truthfully decided to start my own thing because I just thought, well, my only options are start my own thing or go back to the States. And I wasn't ready to go back. So I honestly started MindSpark thinking, I'm just going to do this for a while until somebody 
wises up to my skill set and hires me. Um, and then, you know, as the, you know, as the years went on, so even in the first year, like the project started to get bigger and bigger. And then the second year, bigger and bigger and more projects and third year, bigger and bigger and more. And then I, I hired people. I hired my first full-time employee in the fourth year because I just thought, well, now I can't keep doing this by myself. And now right. here we are a, a team of over 10 full-time people and a huge network of freelancers that we use regularly. So yeah, it was, it was out of necessity, but I'm really glad that that it worked out the way it did. Fascinating. It's such a such a cool story. You know, it's uh, the kind of story that so many people would, would love to live. And it's it's interesting to see how much serendipity there is. But then but then also, um, you know, you've got to just get out there and do it. So. Yeah, completely. I think a lot of people ask like, oh, have you always known you wanted to run your own company? Have you always been an entrepreneur? And I'm like, you know, I think I think a lot of the successful entrepreneurs that we know about, like pick any, a lot of them ended up doing things out of necessity and then just making the most out of their circumstances. So it's not yeah. like I was six and I said, one day I'm gonna run my own company. I always thought I was gonna just be an employee and work my way up through whatever ladder I was on. But yeah, necessity, as you said, serendipity has a lot to do with it. I think people, people don't necessarily factor that in when they're trying to plan for their next big adventure. Yeah, sure, sure. Now. The interesting thing too is there's been so much change, I think, in the industry um, over the time that you've had MindSpark. I mean, it's just changed so quickly and pandemic and all that stuff, right? Um, and of course, you've had to develop a strategy for your firm in a different So curious to know from where you're sitting, what are you seeing uh, in terms of the future of insights and what is important or is going to be important? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that I think is going to be important as we move forward in the insights industry is the idea of how we collect data. So whether you're on the qual or the quant side, we've all seen a disruption to the method of data collection. So right. sometimes sample companies are finding that their panels have just completely shifted in terms of behavior or attitude or whatever. On the qual side, we've been having to, um, you know, have qualitative discussions almost exclusively digitally and remotely for a long time, which some qualities love and some qualities are just itching to get back to the face-to-face. -face. Right. I think that this idea of meeting the user or the consumer, meeting people where they are, is going to have to continue. Instead of pushing, okay, well, we've got this survey. It may not be in the ideal format and maybe we didn't email you at the right time, but if you could just please take it. I think yeah. that we are starting to smarten up to the fact that People's lives have been disrupted. If we want to have an exchange with them that's meaningful, that helps us to make decisions, we need to meet them where they are. And I think and I hope that, you know, this idea of us being more thoughtful around the way and the where and the how and the when we collect information from people is going to remain, you know, really important and top of mind moving forward. Yeah, I, I love that point. I, I've always kind of felt, you know, being in space for a while that there's there's a lot of sort of taking participation for granted yes absolutely uh, this just this pit in my gut that it, at some point you know that's going to catch up to the industry so I, I love what you're saying yeah and i think people have just been tapped right i saw this meme the other day that said who has had a rough year 
literally everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And I think if we keep that in mind, you know, like, okay, yeah, maybe brands, maybe certain brands are struggling um, in one way or another. And the way that they want to rectify that is by better understanding people totally. But the way that you better understand people is to also keep in mind, they've also had a rough year and, and where you contact them and how you contact them is going to matter a lot. And it should always matter. Um, but I think we, we got ourselves into some sort of automatic bad habits that we've been sort of forced out of recently. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Cool. Um, all right, so you're you're well plugged into the industry leadership in the industry and such, uh, and of course, this is a podcast, right? So I'm very curious to know, um, you know, what sources you t- turn to could be podcasts, could be blogs, could be uh, could be association materials, whatever, uh, for inspiration or insight uh, as you kind of move along. Yeah, that is a great question. I would say that I have become a creature of Slack. So I live on Slack now. My team lives on Slack. um, And I think that what I have loved is you can find a Slack workspace for anything. And most of them you can join. So our team joins a lot of anthropology, UX focused, Um, research ops, qual-focused Slack workspaces, and the conversations happening there are just so great. And obviously you can interact or you can just sort of linger in the background and be a voyeur. So I would say Slack for me has really changed things a lot. That's where I end up finding out about podcast episodes that are really useful or YouTube channels that are really useful. So I would say even taking a step back from you know, is it a podcast or is it a YouTube channel? It's, I get everything from Slack these days. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, really, a game changer. It makes me realize I'm sub-optimizing my usage on Slack for sure. That's that's cool. It's insightful. I'm going to poke around on that a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, be warned. You need to like set your notification settings accordingly. <laughs> so I have to, so that like my team Slack channel, I get notified if anything happens and then everything else is basically muted and then I can go in when I have time. Otherwise you yeah. will get a barrage of red circles and beeps. <laughs> <on your> computer. <laughs> my computer's blowing up. Yeah, so, exactly. Cool. All right, excellent. All right, so this is, this is the question that I really want to know. So tons of, tons of cool stuff so far, really interesting story, but you know, my, my bent is towards music, of course, but uh, I gotta know this. So <laughs> you're, you're stranded on a desert island. There's no SMR or anything anywhere, right? It's just you. You've got three records of your choosing to keep you busy for the rest oh, of the days. What, what are they? Um, yeah, so I would say in this is not an order of preference. This okay. is just as coming to my mind. Um, the Killers' first album. Oh, nice, nice. So good. Like I love every single song. I love every track on that album, yeah. and I and I can just like listen to it on repeat. Um, so really love that one. I would say, what else? Um, I kind of became in my 30s, I kind of became a believer. <laughs> I don't know what I don't even know, not his most recent album, but like the I think this the the second to last album that came out before this. Anyway, it was like after he went through puberty, but like before, you know. So anyway, there's some Bieber album where again it's like every song is really good. He co-wrote. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know. 
you can people can hate on pop music and all this kind of stuff, but you can't deny that the Beebs has talent. He's got talent. I'm not a denier here. I, yeah. Well, I'm not Speaking a believer. I'm not a believer per se, but I'm not a denier. Okay, I can okay. appreciate that. <laughs> um, and I guess if there is a third album. So my like little secret that isn't that much of a secret for, for a lot of my team, but um, it's not something that like comes up in conversation is I'm a huge fan of instrumental movie scores. So okay. I know a lot of composers. So like I've seen Danny Elfman performing Nightmare Before Christmas live in concert and yeah. love, um, you know, love kind of all the big names you've got like John Howard and all this kind of stuff but one of my favorite um scores ever is the score for the the movie The Village I don't know if you're familiar. oh interesting yeah is that M. Night Shyamalan yes exactly yeah, yeah it's such a beautiful score it's one of my favorite yeah. violinists featured there the composer is James Newton Howard he's really great um and yeah Hilary Hahn is a featured violinist on a lot of the tracks and it's just a beautiful kind of creepy haunting it's actually it really reminds me of fall so I've been playing it yeah. like now but it's great super cool very interesting choices uh, none of which have, have been mentioned so far on the podcast. So right. yes. Because I'm like, if any researchers have mentioned Bieber, I'd be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> People have gotten close so far, but uh, but this is the first Bieber and I, I won't forget it. I think I'm the first one who's who is brave enough to admit it. I bet there's a lot of believers in our industry and they just don't want to admit it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> truth. I think there's truth in that for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> All right, Nikki, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad to finally know the story. Uh, and I'm excited for other people to know that story too. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And roll.